0: but a winter fire for the unfortunate. I love that. It's such a wonderfully pithy Chestertonian kind of phrase. Not just a summer sun for the prosperous, but a winter fire for the unfortunate. He says in another place, the best way to shorten winter is to prolong Christmas. Now, I, I know I just said Christmas. I said it. Yes, I know. I know it's epiphany, but... One, it's still winter, so I can use that quote. It's still winter, and we've already heard and sung what we would all consider to be Christmas songs, and we've heard what we would consider to be Christmas stories. And this is, this is okay, because Epiphany is really just an extension, in many ways, of this Christmas feast. We're invited to continue in this appearing, in this appearing of our Lord Jesus especially to the Gentiles. So whether you're in Bethlehem or Beckley, um, winter is a reality, Chesterton says. Winter is a reality. We and we all need the winter fire of God and specifically the sun's manifest presence to be with us. That's why we're here to gather around the fire. That's why we're here tonight to be with our king. Just a little bit uh, just a little bit more. So in the cold of winter, wise men from the east journeyed for two years. They journeyed for two years to worship the king of the Jews who was near Jerusalem, and they didn't know where he was, so they stopped, they stopped in Jerusalem and talked to a, king, to a king. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute, we sung or we said in the psalm. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. God the Father sent, and I, I'm, I would love to preach a whole sermon on this. Maybe I'll do it sometime. He sent a divine messenger, which the text says is a star. I think clearly it's an angel, and I have good reasons to say that. Um, But he either way doesn't really matter whether you think it was natural or divine. God is using it. God is using it. He sent a divine messenger to a few men, men outside the law, men who were outside all of the promises. They never heard them before. Men who did not have God's divine word that was given to God's people. But everyone who asks receives, Jesus says, and the one who seeks finds. And so these men, and perhaps they were kings, I think there's good reason when you read Isaiah 60, which we heard this evening, and we read the Psalter and the expectations, I think there's good reasons to suppose that they were kings. I don't really care what you call them, magi, wise men. These men, these seekers, were given just enough light. Just enough, just enough light to spark a long, difficult journey. And they brought their treasure. They brought gifts. Kings come to fall down before him, is what the psalmist says. Gentile kings traveled for years to worship and serve God. And in Jerusalem, there was another Gentile who took upon himself, and there's a lot of historical record about this, This is why Matthew calls him a king. He wasn't really a king, but he took upon himself the title, the king of the Jews. Another Gentile said, I'm the king of the Jews, Herod. Herod. He was so close, yet so far away. He was near the sacred scriptures. It's clear from our story. He had the best Jewish Bible scholars at his disposal. They were were doing his very bidding all the time as if he could pick up his phone and just look it up. He could do a quick Bible search and know all the answers. But he was prideful. And not only Herod, the text says that all Jerusalem and the chief priests and elders didn't see. They didn't listen. They were near, both near to the Scriptures and near to the birth of the King, and yet they did not listen. I can imagine, I can imagine a talkative two-year-old Jesus running around through his house on this day. And foreign men came to the door and knocked. They knocked and mom and dad opened the door and they entered into this house. And I can imagine Jesus running and climbing onto Mary's lap. And they fell down and worshipped him, the text says. And they gave treasures to the toddler king, gold and altar incense. Mary and Joseph received these extravagant gifts from strangers that they just met. Can you imagine? Men who were commanded to bring information to Herod, and yet they did not bring a report. They escaped. They went by another way. They tricked the tyrannous coward Herod, and with their gifts, Mary and Joseph and they didn't know this yet would have enough money for their impending flight to Egypt. So much that I could say. There's so much I want to say. I want to unpack every little interpretive move that I've brought before you in the last couple of paragraphs, but tonight, but tonight I want to simply reflect upon a series of questions that I've had with a couple of people, particularly a person this week and at least in part are answered by this story, or at least there's an implied answer, answer uh, from the story about the Magi from the East. And here is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it in a couple of different ways, and it's circling around this one question. Why do some people who have all the benefits of growing up with God's people and hearing God's word, they don't believe? Why does that happen? Why are there so many who grow up in far off lands without access to God's word? It doesn't seem fair. That's a question that many of us have asked. Why do some who hear believe, whether they're far off or near? Why do some who hear believe and others do not? Can God bring salvation? To those who are far off but don't have access to God's written word. There's a lot of questions that circle around this holy night. Different holy night, but a lot of good questions. So I want to look into these deep questions just a little bit. I don't have all the answers. I certainly will not answer this completely. Um, But our gospel story about the wise men, it overlaps. And even by the way that I've told this story, you can already maybe start to imagine some answers to this question in your own mind. And I encourage you to to read the text and think about these kinds of questions. But here's the beginning of an answer. And because our book club book finally is, and you guys will be done with it, I'll never quote Blaise Pascal again at the end of this month. We're going to gather and talk about Blaise Pascal, but I was having questions, uh, people were asking questions about why, 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 why do some people get the gospel and others don't? Why are some people far off and some people near? How is that fair? I was having that conversation this week, so I was thinking about this, I'm thinking and meditating upon Matthew chapter 2, and then I'm also reading Blaise Pascal, and they all come together, and so I have... Very shortly for you, an epiphany principle. Uh, Blaise Pascal probably wouldn't have called it an epiphany principle, but I think it is an epiphany principle. Now I, I, I want to set up this quote. Um, it's a really, it's a really good quote from Blaise Pascal. But Blaise Pascal is he's balancing what what we would call the created goodness of humanity. And the brokenness or the fallenness of humanity. So we have the capacity for greatness. And we also are so depraved that we don't even see. We, don't, we can't know it. We can't love God. We, we have the capacity to be as image bearers of God in relationship to Him. But we're so prideful that we think we are just God and we don't have any sin. Or we're so in despair that we live like beasts. This is where Blaise Pascal is thinking He's thinking, and he has this answer to a lot of these questions. In many ways, I think it is an epiphany answer. Um, So here is Blaise Pascal's epiphany principle. Pay attention. If we had wished, or if he had wished, so if God had wished to overcome the obstinacy of the most hardened. So you can imagine Herod. You can imagine all Jerusalem, or else the chief priests and the scribes in this story, the most hardened. Imagine someone you know who's near to you, who's maybe gone to church their whole life, and yet they don't believe. Or someone who's far off, who's hardened to the good news of the gospel. If God had wished to overcome their obstinacy, the most hardened person he could have, done so by revealing himself to them so plainly that they could not doubt the truth of his essence. He could have knocked them flat on their back like he did to the Apostle Paul. As he will appear, Pascal says, on the last day with such thunder and lightning and such convulsions of nature that the dead will rise up and the blindest will see. Okay, so why didn't God do that? Why didn't, do, why didn't he do that? This is not the way He wished to appear to make His first epiphany. This is not the way He wished to appear when He came in mildness. Because so many men had shown themselves unworthy of His mercy that He wished to deprive them of the good that they did not desire. So He came in mildness. It was therefore not right that he should appear in a manner manifestly divine, clearly God showing up and knocking them on their back. It was not right for it that he should appear in this way and absolutely capable of convincing all men, but neither was it right that his coming should be so hidden that he could not be recognized by those who sincerely sought him. So he's not so hidden that he cannot be seen. And he is not so manifestly designed that he knocks everyone on their back. He came as a mild and meek child. He wished to make himself perfectly recognizable to all those who seek him. Thus wishing to appear openly to those who seek him with all their heart and hidden from those who shun him with all their heart. He has qualified our knowledge of Him by giving signs which can be seen by those who seek Him and not by those who do not. Yes, even a star or an angel. There is enough light, Pascal says, for those who desire only to see. And that's what we're here to remember tonight. And there is enough darkness for those of a contrary disposition. God invites us to come by faith. And after listening to the king, the supposed king of the Jews, they went on their way and behold the star. This small light, just enough light for them to see. The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, Who asks receives. This is the promise of the gospel, and the one who seeks finds. That's what we're here to remember. doesn't matter how far off or how near you are, everyone who asks receives. God speaks in holy Scripture, thanks be to God. There is winter fire before us in our hands, all the time. We have the text right there. It's with us tonight. There's enough light for us to see, and yet some of us might be stubborn and we don't want to see. We don't want to hear. But we're invited to come by faith and to fall down and worship Jesus. That's why we're here. And for those who do not have God's Word, we must go. We must carry the fire. We must carry the treasure. Even as these Gentile kings carried their treasure, we must go out and carry this treasure that has been entrusted to us, this good news proclamation to the ends of the earth. And even then, and even then, God still speaks. And we see that right here in this story. He speaks in dreams to those who are far off. He sends angels to light a path to the King, to come and adore Him. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds. So I invite you to come by faith this evening and find and seek and believe. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty.